as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the Alright everyone, welcome to the newest episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also a Big Shiny Robot And today we are going to be talking to you about two uh, movies that came out this week uh, the first being Dope. It was an indie film from Sundance. And also Inside Out, which is Pixar's newest release. Uh, they skipped last year. So we had Big Hero 6, which was Disney Animation. So this is our first Pixar movie in a while. But before we get there, uh, Andy, you had a chance to see Dope. I, unfortunately, they didn't really have a screening up here. So uh, I think, from what I understood, you did you like it? I can't remember. I, I actually really enjoyed Dope. And I think that there is a really great conversation to be had around this movie, considering a lot of what has happened in the past week vis-a-vis conversations about race and racial identity and so on and so forth. Dope was a movie that was really well-received at Sundance this year. It is a comedy drama set in Inglewood, Los Angeles. centers around 18-year-old Malcolm, a self-proclaimed geek who loves all sorts of what he refers to as, quote, white shit, uh, which includes skateboarding, manga comics, uh, Game of Thrones, and and so on. And he and his two friends have a, uh, a trip-hop punk band called Aureo, spelled A-W-W-R-E-A-R-E-O, um, and yeah, so they're, they're lots of fun. And this movie follows their misadventures over uh, a couple of months. Malcolm is on a track to get into Harvard and he's just about to take his alumni interview when due to a series of misadventures, he ends up with a bunch of drugs in his backpack. Oh, like and, you do. yeah, like you do. And uh, so, unfortunately, is placed in the position where, in order to get rid of the drugs, he has to sell them. It should also be mentioned that the drugs that they have are MDMA or Molly. So, they go about trying to sell this online, specifically to white people, using Bitcoin and other things. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm giving away a lot of the plot here, uh, because I, I think that's... A little bit of a side issue because more what this movie is about is the the critique it's it's placing about black and white identity uh malcolm who is constantly harassed by drug dealers and gangbangers uh, because he quote acts white for good grades and things like that and because he doesn't quite fit in and like i said he's he's trying to get into harvard but the the thing that's that's quote unquote black about him according to the people that are looking at him from Harvard as well uh, is he quote a thug uh, a drug dealer and and so on or is this just what he has to do to survive so <clears throat> there's a really great conversation to be had around this and about black versus white identity especially given a lot of what's gone on in the last week um, with. I don't know, crazy white people pretending that they're black and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot to be said in here as well about drugs and drug culture and and specifically 
the the violence that gets perpetrated in black communities uh, because they are supplying drugs to middle class white people. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's kind of a heavy handed message, but there's a lot that's really really funny in this movie. There's tons of jokes. Malcolm himself is very funny, really engaging. Uh, as are as are all of the cast, uh, and this is. This is a lot of fun. I, I should mention that the soundtrack is also really engaging. If you're a fan of kind of older hip hop uh, and kind of alt hip hop, uh, there's a lot in here. Uh, stay through the credits uh, because you'll get to see Malcolm and the rest of the cast uh, dancing to the Humpty Dance by Digital Underground. Uh, <laughs> uh, songs like like that cool like that by the diggable planets lots of stuff like that 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 would would have kind of ended up on alternative radio would have ended up on on your hip-hop station uh as as crossover and that's kind of the music that malcolm and his band are playing as well worth mentioning one of the executive producers in the movie and also the person who wrote all of the music that ario plays is pharrell williams so uh yeah so there's a lot good in here musically and and you should definitely check this out i had a great time eight out of ten and you bring up a good point is that you know movies you know some movies exist to make a really good point or a critique on pop culture or our ideas of like race or sexism or sexuality uh, but the ones that kind of can almost do it best and make more of an impact are the ones that do it through comedy. I mean, if you think about it, you can go see a movie, like, unfortunately, on top of my head, I'm blanking, but, you know, where you can sit back, you can laugh, have a good time, and then afterwards, when you're thinking back, be like, oh, yeah, and I saw this, and I caught that, and this was important. And sometimes you can really bring those ideas home when you're using kind of a different format than just, you know, slam it India to, to make your point. Yeah. It, there are times when it gets a little bit overt. Uh, like at the beginning, he's trying to compose his personal statement to put in his college application to Harvard. And what he's come up with is really hilarious is he has identified the day that uh, they were referring to in today it was a good day. And uh, why all of these things uh, point to that being said good day and why ice cube was was rapping about that so that's the kind of stuff that that malcolm's into and his guidance counselor is like you can't write this you need to write about how you're a poor kid from from inglewood and you never knew your dad and people are getting shot around you and how you have to hang out with drug dealers and and that's your story that's what they want to hear and I won't spoil this because it is the supreme best moment of the film, but what he ends up writing uh, in his application to Harvard and the very last sentence of it, just, you know, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Absolutely great. So really enjoy. I mean, heaven forbid we have someone who comes from a stereotypical background um, of whether inner city youth or whatever else, or, and then, they actually have a positive spin on things or don't fall in the tropes that everyone expects them to, to the, Oh, poor me is this. And you know, heaven forbid that we, we don't let people be happy even if they don't come from the best of backgrounds. 
this is great. It dances on and around a lot of those tropes uh, without ever getting too cliche. Uh, but it really reminded me of kind of a, ma a mashup of Risky Business and Friday. Oh, wow. So I, don't, I didn't expect that from what I, the trailers I'd seen. So that's, that's, yeah. that's really interesting. I'm much more interested now. So <laughs> yeah. cool. So yeah, that was dope, uh, and you know, definitely at the recommendation. Check it out. I'm hopefully we'll get a chance to skip down to the Broadway and see it. Um, but next week is kind of busy, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but the next movie we want to go to is Inside Out, uh, which is the newest movie by Disney Pixar. Like I mentioned before, it was uh, Disney uh, Pixar did not do a movie last year, so everyone had been kind of waiting for this one. Also, due to the fact that you know Pixar for the most part, has made excellent movies. They had a few misfires. But we hadn't really come across anything that was just absolutely outstanding since, I would say, probably up. Um, yeah. There wasn't, you know, there was some good stuff. I mean, I enjoyed Brave. I had a fun time with it, but I didn't fall in love with it. My parents did, but <laughs> I wasn't right there. It kind of was missing some kind of spark that you normally get out of Pixar movies. So they were definitely hoping to um, put something together with this, but Inside Out follows the story of a young girl named Riley. Uh, and basically, it's the voices inside of her head. You know, that, that's, if you've seen the trailers, you've heard about that, that this is the story of, you know, your your emotions, the things that are controlling you that, you know, like your brain's a big computer, and they're pushing the buttons and pulling the levers. Uh, and you're given a couple main emotions that, you know, are in charge of Riley. So you've got Joy, voiced by Amy Poehler, Sadness by Phyllis Smith, uh, Fear by Bill Hader, uh, Discussed by Mindy Kaling, and probably the best casting I've ever seen in an animated film uh, was uh, Anger, voiced by Louis Black. Did you Absolutely. ever seen Louis Black? Or at all familiar? That's that's him to a T. So uh, it starts out as a young baby, you know, opens her eyes for the first time, and of course, joy is her first emotion. Then all of a sudden, sadness comes in because you know something bad happened. And then as she gets older, and these emotions start to interact and work together, uh, as things change in her life. They're also changing and doing things, and memories are created, and they glow a certain color based on whatever the memory came from. If it was a happy memory, it's glowing gold like joy. If it's sad, it's blue. So the family moves from their home in Minnesota to San Francisco, uh, and when Riley's 11, and this just sets off a whole mental catastrophe as she's dealing with you know, changing friends, schools, uh, starting to kind of grow up a bit, and... Something happens, and Joy and Sadness both get sucked out of headquarters and are now lost in her mind, trying to get back there. In the meantime, the leftover emotions, uh, fear, anger, and disgust, are doing their best to make Riley happy and make her life go on like normal. But of course, they can't because they're not bad emotions. So it sets up kind of a fun two-world thing where you've got what's going on in Riley's head, superimposed with what's happening in real life, and all of a sudden she goes from being this happy-go-lucky kid to... Um, like a surly preteen who's angry and, you know, gets bounced off to her parents. And it, it's definitely a lot of fun. Uh, what did you think about it, Andy? I, I thought it was absolutely great. Beyond the perfect casting in every single one of those roles, what I really liked was what it had to say about the purpose of all of these emotions. And it, they tell you straight up, anger, his main deal is he cares about things being fair. And what sets him off is when things don't seem fair. Uh, fear keeps uh, Riley safe. Disgust keeps her from getting poisoned. 
uh, both by broccoli and other gross foods and also socially. So Mindy Cowling gets to do all sorts of fun things when she sees like, oh, those are the popular girls at school. Don't look at them. <laughs> like, you know, uh, so she's trying to uh, keep her safe in that way. And of course we know the purpose of joy, but what's really interesting is no one understands the purpose of sadness. And what is so deep about this movie is that that's what this entire movie is about, is about the journey of understanding the purpose of sadness and why sadness is important and how sadness works in our brains. And it just blew me away. I absolutely love this film. And my 10-year-old daughter, who is the prime demographic for this movie, she absolutely loved it. So I know this is going to be a hit with, with that subset. What I was amazed by, though, was how really adult this was. And oh, yeah. just so much in here that I was like, kids are not going to get this. This is really deep. And, and a lot of cultural references. I know... I know you had one that that you really liked. That there's there's no kid on the planet who's going to get this reference, the Cloud oh, Town reference. Well, Cloud Town, where uh, yeah, it's like you know, you know, yeah, it's basically a throwback to Chinatown. Which if you're a movie buff or a movie fan, you'll immediately see it. And it was kind of funny because during the screening, it was a really big event. There were a lot of families there, tons of kids, and when that popped up, it was just it was a fleeting, almost like throwaway gag. And I bust out laughing, and I was the only person in the theater, so I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then, you know, immediately shut up again. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's tons of good stuff like that in there. That That's my only concern about this is that some kids may not get it. Some kids may not like it. But this is a movie that hopefully they watch and they enjoy now, and then they're going to look back on in 10, 15 years and go, man, that was a really deep movie. Yeah, it's it's definitely a movie that you know kids will enjoy because it's bright and it's shiny and it's funny and you have all these little characters doing fun things. But as an adult, you really sit back and you, as you know, you can look at this and apply it to your growing up. I mean, there's one of the really uh, cool things they do is every so often there's what's called a core memory will pop out. It may, creates its own little world that all these other memories are built on and all coincide and coexist with. And there's a couple big ones. Uh, like one of the first ones was friendship. <clears throat> so it was the memory of Riley making her first friend, and that's a huge island. The second one is hockey because she loves to play hockey. There's uh, family. There's honesty and goofiness. And as she's growing older and life's changing, and she's basically losing the ability to you know be happy in life because she's focusing this turmoil. Those core memories that make her up, she starts to forget them, uh, and they they kind of fall apart and literally crumble in front of her. And it changes her outlook, and that's that's also the whole plot of of joy and also sadness going to collect these memories and bring them back to headquarters to restart things. But even when they get back there, because of course it's they're going to get back there, um, they it doesn't exactly end how they were assuming it would end. And you know, it's it, it like I said, growing up and as an adult and looking back and seeing how. What was 100% black and white as a kid, now as an adult, you know, they say it's not just black and white, it's shades of gray. And you see that, that these memories you had as a kid, you know, or even as a preteen young adult, and even memories I had from 10 years ago when I first moved to Utah, um, they're not all going to be 
just happy, just sad, just angry, just fearful. They're going to be mixes of all of them. And like you said, it's it's a great uh, it's a great thing for kids to see. But adults I really will take a lot more out of it. And as much as it is being promoted towards kids, and I'm sure when Disney Infinity three comes out, we'll have a Inside Out World, which I love to play. Uh, it's adults are going to get more out of it. <clears throat> At the screening I went to, kids enjoyed it, but they were getting a bit restless. Uh, that said, though, it's a very very strong female cast. I mean, not only are they in this young girl's mind, so I'm so she's the female, but with Amy Poehler and the other actresses in there, it's very female centric and there are male characters. So the young girls who were there, even girls as young as I'd say six or seven, they were much more entranced than the boys just because it was something that represented them. And there's a lot of talk out there right now about, you know, with Black Widow, Furiosa, and then also stuff from last week's Jurassic world about females represented in movies and pop culture. And I don't think there are very many kids movies that have been this female centric, um, possibly since brave. Yeah, definitely. And that was my experience too. Like I said, my 10 year old daughter, like just ate this up with a spoon. My, my seven year old son, he started getting a little restless near the end. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, that's a, a tiny focus group. And, and, but that was much the same experience for a lot of what was going on in our theater. But yeah, it was definitely great to see females on screen and there and we also get you know the look inside riley's mom's mind and uh there's a group of other female emotions running her uh we get to look inside her her dad's mind and oh it's just great and we we almost forgot my favorite character in the entire movie which is Bing Bong. Bing Bong. Oh, I love Bing Bong. Riley's old imaginary friend, played by Richard Kind, and he just knocks it out of the park. Pete Doctor is a master at figuring out how to make you cry. Bing Bong will make you cry. He, it's just beautiful. Yeah, he, he, and, he, and funny. Yeah, Bing, Bing Bong gives you the emotional impact of the movie. Uh, a, a pink elephant made of uh, cotton candy and, <laughs> and everything else, and uh, it's funny candy. <laughs> uh, this movie, there's just so much there. It's great. I mean, obviously, the director and the writers really went out and studied psychology. If you've seen any interviews, uh, they spent their time understanding what goes on in everyone's mind. Everything from you know the memory dump to imagination land to how dreams are made, which is one of the funniest, funniest gags in the whole movie. Yeah, is when they when they they have all these little things in the mind doing dreams and. They put the reality filter over it. Now suddenly Riley's in class and she forgot her pants and she's, her teeth are falling out and how they do the special effects to make you think that uh, mixed in with why uh, commercial jingles come back and haunt us so much. Uh, I, I laughed out loud every time I, I saw that gum commercial. Uh, so many wonderful moments. Uh, I, I absolutely love this. Is it for little kids? No. Uh, it's, it's more for you know, maybe the preteens to adults who to fully get it. Um, I absolutely love it, though. Nine out of ten for me. That's exactly where I'm at. I was, I was a little, I was equivocating earlier this week, and when we talked about this on the Who Virgin podcast, I was like, I don't know, our kids gonna get it, and I'm like, maybe like eight, eight and a half. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, for me and how this made me feel. This was a nine out of 10. I don't, it's, there's a certain point where I don't care if kids are going to get it or not. 
that adults should see this movie too because it is just mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous and and a lot of meaning about what it means to grow up. Um, I, Adam, I have a weird random question for you. Did you have sure. an imaginary friend growing up? Um, no, because <laughs> um, and we won't go into the whole religious aspect of this, but being, being raised very, very uh, extremely conservative Christian um, and being taught that you know Jesus was there next to you all the time, kind of watching you, Jesus was my imaginary friend. I'm not saying he's imaginary. I'm not saying that he's not. Because <laughs> that's a whole other debate that I'm, we're not here to discuss religion. Yeah, no. Um, but it was, growing up, that was the message given to you, is that Jesus is always with you. Yeah. And so whether you, you choose to believe that or not, uh, that's, yeah, that's always what it was. <laughs> so well, I personally did not have one, but that, in a sense, yes. <laughs> growing, growing up, uh, LDS Mormon, I had much the same experience. But I also had another... Uh, imaginary friend and his name was Hanky and Hanky's job was he would uh, whenever you saw uh, the letters that were blacked out like in a a sign for a store or something like Hanky did that that was a prank he pulled so like that's how that's how we knew he was around so that was my imaginary friend my my 10 year old daughter had an imaginary friend whose her name was Ghosty which that, that's not a very like good imaginary friend <laughs> name. It's like, about this. <laughs> I liked, I liked though that my imaginary friend's name ended up on South Park as Kyle Broflovsky's imaginary poo friend who uh-huh. ended up being real. So that, that was, that was my segue to uh, talk about Mr. Hankey. So, gotcha. So, your, your best, your imaginary friend was pretty much that gremlin from World War II. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, same difference. So, cool. So, definitely recommend for both of us. Inside Out, it, it's great. It's really awesome to see Pixar come back to form. Uh, not that they ever fully went away, but we could definitely see some suits may have been involved with Cars, Cars 2, and, and, the, and their elk. But Pixar really nails it. They hit the emotional buttons, and the best uh, compliment I can ever give to a kid's movie is that it's better for adults almost. The kids get something fun out of it. The adults will sit back and and get five times out of it because that's also one of the target audiences. Yeah. Cool. So um, before we go, we did want to uh, talk about uh, not so much a recommendation this week. We, Andy and I talked for a bit, <clears throat> and we've had a couple people talk to us and ask us about uh, being a film critic, uh, criticism in general, and Andy, as you'll talk about right now, there's a couple movies actually uh, that bring this up, and both have to do with, with food criticism. And as yeah. I'm a cooking chef, and I know you are too. So, talk to us about these movies and kind of how that ties in. How does food criticism tie into being a film critic? Well, because one good Pixar movie deserves another, and because we we talked about Brad Bird's Tomorrowland a couple of weeks ago, uh, I want to start talking about Ratatouille which again was another movie I'm like, kids are not going to get this. This is really, really deep. But kids mm-hmm. love it because Remy the Rat is adorable. And talking about to go over and his, his family and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's adorable. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and Patton Oswalt does great work. But the, it, I loved the 
interplay in this movie, it seemed to me that the central question really was the question that Gusteau, the famous chef and cookbook author that Remy looked up to, whose restaurant he ends up working in, asked is, can everyone cook? He says, everyone can cook. And there's that great conversation later in the movie where he's talking to the ghost of Gusteau about what that actually means. Can everyone cook? Is Are there special gifts? But deep down, everyone can, and everyone has the ability to create and be creative. And that's a great central message here. So we're not just talking about food, but we're talking about the creative process. Now, of course, the foil that they're working against is this <laughs> crusty old food critic who's going to come in and he's going to take away another Michelin star from Gusto's restaurant if he isn't incredibly pleased by the meal that's put in front of him. And so Remy makes him this ratatouille that takes him back to his childhood, uh, like, like Marcel Proust sipping his tea and, and crumpets and uh, you puts him back in that moment. And uh, it, it's, and and so he's just flabbergasted and uh, and writes an amazing review about uh, the return to excellence of uh, or wait no I guess he doesn't write the review because the rats all come out and uh, and spoil everything and they get shut down for health violations but you see him <laughs> but you see the critic returning to their new restaurant uh, at the end of the film uh, what for what probably seems like every day. And even though he's a crusty old food critic, he, he loves that food because it makes him think of his childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I want to contrast that with a movie that came out last year, uh, John Favreau's chef, which there's this great interplay between John Favreau and Oliver Platt, who plays a film, uh, not a film critic, a food critic. And they get into this huge fight and uh, Platt calls his food cloying and uninspired. And they actually get into a whole social media war about it. And then there's this whole Twitter feud about, you know, who's right and who's wrong. And uh, Favreau, I think is saying a lot about the creative process as well and kind of putting out some of his feelings about how it felt, you know, working on the Iron Man movies and Cowboys versus aliens mm -hmm. and, and having suits involved and, and them making decisions, whereas he wanted it to be a creative process. Of course, this whole thing uh, leads to him going out on his own, uh, getting fired from that job and he starts his own food truck and it's his own thing. And he starts making Cuban sandwiches and uh, really simple soul food. And he goes on this nationwide journey and picks up like fresh ingredients in, in different places. And he's making it his own oh. everywhere he goes. Then he returns to LA. And at the very end, Oliver Platt shows up and he's like, I want to invest because I'm so impressed with what you've done. And he's like, what? Weren't you, <laughs> weren't you that same asshole who, you know, made me lose my job? And he's like, He's like, yeah, but that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, the 
the the chef's whole view was like this critic doesn't know what the hell he's talking about he's never actually been in the kitchen he doesn't know the pressure that i'm under mm-hmm. all he's doing is writing snarky things on a blog and that isn't bringing anything to the table as it were this all of these things say to me that criticism and being a critic is a chance to ask of our art, our film specifically, to just be more. No one's going to go out and review a McDonald's hamburger uh, unless you really don't have any time and you want to go review it on Yelp or something. But, um, But that isn't going to necessarily make a difference one way or the other. Uh, A good critic challenges art and uh, challenges all of us to be better, along with giving some sort of a guidepost one way or the other. Now, agree with me or disagree with me. I've met lots of people who disagree with me on, on how I feel about films, and that's fine. At least we're having a conversation and we've laid out some informed opinions about what there is to talk about in this movie rather than just, oh, it sucked. It was boring. I thought it was dumb. (laughs) I have walked out of a a screening and been like, oh, that was horrible and bored and stupid. How am I going to write about it? Some some movies do just leave you with that bad taste in your mouth before tomorrow. Totally. I I mean, I I had the exact same experience. I... Uh, I, I was listening to uh, Jimmy Martin uh, from Geek Show and KSL talking about Unfinished Business, which, yeah, that that's one of the worst movies I've seen this year. And how on his deathbed he's going to be asking for those two hours of his life back. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, I didn't think it was that bad, but that that's definitely one way to talk about it. And I went back and reread my review, and I'm like, I was maybe overly kind to this movie, <laughs> giving, giving it a two out of ten. I didn't hate it as much as Jimmy did, but um, but that doesn't mean that something that we don't like, you can you can choose to enjoy. You can you could look at Unfriended or Unfinished Business and be like, I kind of like that movie. You guys need to you know take the stick out of your butts. Um, I think there's a whole debate here, especially vis-a-vis Gamergate, the Mm -hmm. place of bringing some sort of a social justice lens to looking at a film critically through critical race theory or feminism or, or something, something else like that being quote SJW. Uh, I, I think that's, I think that's important because I think like literature gets that all the time. And so if, you know, if we can do that to great books and we could critique, uh, you know, William Faulkner for not having enough strong female characters in his books, as great of a writer as he might have been, um, there's a feminist critique to be made on The Sound and the Fury. Uh, so, you know, we, we can talk about those things as grownups, hopefully, and even if you even if you disagree, and I, I think we're we're getting closer to putting that kind of critical lens, just as the masses, uh, towards movies that we do with literature, you know, famous literature, books in general. Uh, I think we're not quite there yet because 
people will still go out there and go see a Jurassic World or Transformers and think of it as just escapism, which it very much is. There's a lot of movies out there that deserve to be escapism because that's what we need at that point in time. Guardians of the Galaxy was an amazing movie. If you look at it critically, it's very well made, it's well written, acted, edited, throw it all in there, we loved it. But the average person who went and saw it had fun because there was a talking raccoon in a tree. Yeah. And that's great. That's, that escapism needs to be there. Uh, I don't think we're quite all the way there with movies as with books because books take that much more time to read. You, you know, most people don't like to read, or a lot of people don't, because there's a much longer investment. I can sit down for three hours and watch The Fellowship of the Ring, but it'll take me an average, well, me a couple days. But <laughs> the average reader, probably a couple weeks to get through yeah. The Fellowship of the Ring, the book. And so we've we've elevated books to you know more of an art form because they've been around forever. I mean, we've been writing books since you know, caveman times, uh, and movies generally are a, a much more recent invention. Uh, I think we'll eventually get there. Where we'll you know the movie of the year, maybe not so much the Oscar because we know those are political, but the best movie of the year may be held to the same esteem as the book that wins the Pulitzer or whatever other award. You know, the best book of the year. Yeah, as far as criticism goes, I think one of the um, hopefully, everyone who's listening saw Birdman last year. Uh, it's one of the, it was the best movie of the year, and it rightfully did win an Oscar for best movie. But it had a really, really great scene when Regan is in this bar with Tabitha, who is the the New York Times uh, theater critic. And theater critics are evil people. I mean, no offense if you're a theater critic. Uh, <laughs> my dear friend Missy is a theater critic. We actually talked today about this. I had to preface what I was going to talk about. Um, but some of them are. Oh, they just they go in wanting to hate things. There's a really awesome documentary called Show Business, The Road to Broadway, which follows uh, four four Broadway shows from conception all the way through the Tony Awards. Uh, it was Wicked, Avenue Q, Taboo, and Carolina Change. And interspersed throughout all these you know, behind-the-scenes stuff, and all these figure critics at a table just bitching and like wanting to hate on these things. And it's just so funny because me as a, as a critic, when I go to a movie, I go in really hoping to like it. Uh, you know, I, maybe some people don't, but I, I going even with Ninja Turtles last year, which I absolutely, I was horrible. I, I was pretty much riff, riff tracksing it through the whole entire movie. I went in hoping to like it. Uh, I don't go in wanting to give, you know, films bad reviews, but back to the, the thing with Regan was there's this line when he's talking to her about being a, a critic and he says, what has to happen in a person's life to become a critic anyway? Like, what is there that makes you want to go out there and just, you know, and take things people have created and say why they suck or why they're horrible? And But like I said, that's not what I do. I, I go in wanting it to be good, but at the same time, when I see something that needs to be called out or discussed or said, no, that's wrong, you know, I have to do it. Like we mentioned in our very first episode, going to see a movie for a family of four or five is an expensive process. You know, it, it's, it's like going to Disneyland. Uh, a friend of mine actually hit me up on Monday asking if he should take his family to go see Jurassic World and IMAX. He's got three kids, and at first I was like, yeah, sure, but I was like, wait, you're in California. How much is that? It's like 25 bucks a ticket or something like that. I was like, yeah, go see it in normal, normal theater. You'll be fine. If it was just you and your wife on a date, different story. But, but you missed that point of Ant-Man. Ant-Man. <laughs> oh yeah, go see it for the and the Ant Man six minutes. If you haven't seen Jurassic World in IMAX, is amazing. Um, but 
you know, yeah, what I have to say about a movie, is it going to get back to the director's ear and change their mind on what they do next? No, probably not. Uh, down the road, if, if maybe, but you never, you never know where life's going to take you or where your path's going to go and whether or not you, you know, how influential or how much, you know, pull your say has to have. But either which way, what's more important to me is letting people I know or maybe even letting people I don't know who listen to this podcast or read my reviews um, what do I have to think about it? And you know what? If you like you said, if you disagree with me on what I think about movies, that's awesome. I want you to come talk. If you know, talk to me, email me, Skype me, whatever. Let's have a discussion. But let's go more than beyond the "oh, you're right, I'm wrong" kind of thing. Because that's that's just back and forth. That's you know, as Monty Python said, that's not really an argument. Um, but but it, you, yeah, it was funny for me growing up in in the Salt Lake area. I grew up reading Sean Means and Jeff Weiss in the Salt Lake Tribune and, and Deseret News. And it was really funny because I didn't always agree with like their star ratings, but I often agreed with their criticisms. But then I could use them as a barometer. I'm like, oh, well, Sean gave this a two. And from the way he's talking about it, I will actually probably really enjoy this movie. So I'm going to go see it. Despite a mm. despite a mediocre star rating from him, and I I find that that's what you kind of have to do is you kind of set yourself by a barometer. Of course, we're lucky today with the internet where you can look at a site like Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic, and mm-hmm. they aggregate hundreds of different movie reviewers from across the country and come up with some sort of a mean score. And I, I tend to believe in the law of large numbers, evening things out. Uh, there was an experiment done at a county fair where they, they took a bunch of experts uh, who were supposed to be good at judging the quality of uh, prize steers at, at the county fair. And they asked them uh, to guess how much a certain animal weighed. And then they asked random people to submit their own guesses. The average taken from the random group of people was closer to the actual weight of the steer than the group of experts. So I think, I think when you take a large group of experts and you aggregate them all together, I think that's (laughs) a really beautiful thing and, and something good. So when you're looking at, a movie like Inside Out that is at what, like ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Last time I looked, yesterday that was yesterday though, so I don't know what it is today. It's it's abs. I mean, it's just running away with it. Then I think that tells you something, and and I think that's that's useful to know. Uh, again, I, that goes back to my whole theory about bell curves and how how common certain things, you know, will show up and whether a movie's a 10 or a not. But I, I tend to, I tend to like that. And I tend to look for uh, criticism that, you know, takes that kind of aggregate data as much. Right. As and it's also the fact that, you know, your people who do like us who do film criticism, you know, when people, people read the reviews or like listen to podcasts, if you find out over a certain period of time that, you know, this person, we have the exact opposite taste in movies, then you know what movies to go see and what not to see based on the opposite of what they're saying. Yep. Uh, vice versa, if you, if you fully agree with them, 
then you can go out there and know know what to see and what not to see. And by all means, feel free to love any movies you want. We're not saying that just because a movie is bad doesn't mean you can't like it. Um, I'm sure you and I, we, we, God, we could probably spend you know, maybe a whole podcast one time talking about horrible movies that we absolutely love, despite knowing the fact they're horrible. Oh, yeah, we could. Um, that's just that's human nature. You're allowed, you're allowed to love anything you want. By all means, if you love Twilight and Transformers and Unfriended and whatever else, love it with all your heart. Uh, does it mean it's going to be a good movie? To you, yeah, it does. And I'm really happy you found that. Uh, the same way that with talking about music or anything else. I think Justin Bieber sucks. If you love him, more power to you. Just don't make me listen to him. I, I, but, and I hope that what we can do is you, you put Jurassic World and Transformers and Fast and Furious all kind of in the same realm of escapist entertainment. I would hope that we can look at this with a lens of being like, yeah, it's all escapist entertainment. There comes a, there's a, but there's different gradations between a turn off your brain and enjoy Jurassic world and man, Transformers age of extinction or whatever that most recent one was like, it's really going to make your head hurt. There's a big difference. Like, you know, escapism is fine. Like we mentioned before, uh, but for me, my escapism, I like to have something at least to hold on to. You know, if you're going to throw me over a waterfall, at least give me an inner tube. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and I, I think my review of Fast and Furious 7 was that it was like eating a really, like the most excellent bag of Doritos ever. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it's it's a bag of Doritos and you can't like expect more out of it than that. <laughs> But it was like the most perfect bag of Doritos. So oh, it was the, the best Doritos man. you would ever have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to fill you up, but it'll taste good while it's going down. <laughs> yep. yep. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for our edition of the Board as Hell podcast. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. We've got kind of all, movies all over the place. Uh, we got Max, the story of the returned dog from Iraq, Afghanistan, that has PTSD. Uh, Ted 2, which is the sequel to Seth MacFarlane's Ted 1, about the talking teddy bear who says horrible, horrible things. Oh, and uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, which, again, was another Sundance movie. Uh, this one actually took everything. It won uh, the Audience Award. It won the Grand Jury Award. Uh, kind of in the vein of the, uh, the Fault of Our Stars, but not quite so much the romantic movie that that one was. But that'll be coming to you next week, and we look forward to talking to you. Andy, go ahead and take us out. I think we got ourselves a Transforma. Hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. A long, long time ago, there was a volcano Living all alone in the middle of the sea He sat high above his bed, watching all the couples play And wishing that he had someone too And from his lover came this song of hope That he sang out loud Every day for years and years I have a dream I hope will come true That you're here with me And I'm here with you I wish that the earth see the sky up Father will send me someone to love her.